0: please visit RedemptionOKC.com. And thank you, Chris. Uh, If you are new with us, my name is Chase Ifland. I'm the community coordinator here at Redemption Church. And we'll be continuing our series this week called The Holy Spirit, The Forgotten Third Person of the Trinity. Uh, So for the past two weeks, Jeff has been kicking off this sermon series, giving us an introduction to the person of the Holy Spirit. We've kind of done an overview of what the Holy Spirit uh, was in the Old Testament, did in the Old Testament, what the Holy Spirit does in the New Testament, what the early church and the creeds said about the Holy Spirit, and why it's important for us as Christians to know that we have the Holy Spirit and to know about the Holy Spirit. Now, this week, we're going to shift our gears a little bit and take that foundation that we've been building on the person of the Holy Spirit and talk about the fact that as Christians, we have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that theologians talk about this relationship is by saying that Christians have fellowship with the Spirit. And that word fellowship isn't a word that we use a lot in our vocabulary today. So I wonder what you think of when you hear that word fellowship fellowship Uh, maybe you think of the fellowship of the ring the first book or movie in the lord of the rings trilogy Uh, there the word fellowship is pointing to the relationship between frodo and sam and gandalf and all of their companions as they go upon their quest Maybe when you hear the word fellowship, you think about um, spending time with family on, on Thanksgiving. Uh, some of my mom's extended family is here today, and we have fellowship on Thanksgiving um, until the card games come out, that is. Um, maybe you uh, grew up in a smaller church and fellowship was the, the meal that you had after church on Sundays every once in a while. I don't know what you think about when you think of that word, but the word fellowship indicates some sort of close familial Or friend relationship it's Frodo and Sam on their quest it's a whole church sharing a meal together it's cousins playing on the holidays and the crazy thing is the Bible teaches us that as Christians we can have fellowship with the spirit of the God of the universe at the end of second Corinthians Paul ends his letter to the church in Corinth saying the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So Paul wants uh, the the church in Corinth to experience Jesus's grace. And as Christians, we understand what that means. Jesus's grace poured out for us in salvation. He wants them to experience God the Father's love. And we know what it means to, to experience the love of the Father. But in the same way that they experience those two things, Paul also wants them to experience fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit a close, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's the one that we probably don't understand as well as the other two. But this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you can have the same fellowship that you experience with those closest in your life. You can have that same fellowship with God. Jesus talks about it like this in John 14. He says, I'll ask the Father and he will send you the Holy Spirit who will be with you forever You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. We use that language a lot, and it's a churchy language that we accept Jesus into our heart or that we've got God in our heart. We have a relationship with God, but a lot of times we just say that without thinking about what that really means. And what the Bible is teaching is that we can have a close, intimate, personal, ongoing, active relationship with God. We can have fellowship with God. I don't just want to skip over that as as the introduction and get to the rest of the sermon. That's incredible. The Bible says we can have fellowship with God. Do you believe that that's true? Has that been your experience in your life? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done or what you look like or how much money you make, God wants, he doesn't just allow us, God wants to have a Frodo and Sam, grandparent and grandchild Relationship with you and with me. And that's incredible. But that sounds great. What does it mean? How how does that work in our daily life? And that's where we're going to go this morning and what we're going to talk about. So, a foundation is that you can have fellowship with God by the Holy Spirit. But all relationships require something from each party, right? Or it's not a relationship. And so what I want to do this morning is demystify what fellowship with the Holy Spirit actually looks like on a daily basis. Go to the scriptures and see what the Bible tells us a day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour relationship with God looks like. And so to do that, we're, first we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's responsibility in our fellowship relationship, and then we'll look at our responsibility in our fellowship relationship. And uh, just like the past couple of weeks, as Jeff mentioned last week, we're not going to be camping out in one verse. Um, we'll be jumping around all over the New Testament this morning, uh, but we've got the verses. We'll have them up on the screen behind me as we go, so uh, you can follow along up there. So let's go ahead and jump in. The first responsibility of the Holy Spirit and our fellowship with him is to reveal God to us. 1 Corinthians Corinthians 2, 8 through 12 says, none of the rulers of of this age understood this, that, that is who Jesus is. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So, Paul's telling the Corinthians that the religious leaders of their day didn't really know who Jesus was. They didn't know Jesus was the Son of God because if they had known that, they wouldn't have killed him. But Paul says, if you are a Christian, then you are someone who does understand who Jesus is. And the way that you understand that is because God has revealed this truth to you through the Holy Spirit. And then Paul goes on to kind of explain why God would choose to uh, reveal himself in this mysterious way through his spirit. And it gets a little bit confusing, but what Paul's basically saying is that uh, only you can know yourself uh, better you, know, you can know yourself better than other people know you. We can know things about other people. We can grow close to others, but we can't get inside other people's hearts and minds like we can ourselves. And so there's no way anyone would be able to know us that intimately. But then Paul applies that logic to God and says, if we can't really know what's inside other people, how the heck would we know about God unless he chooses to reveal himself to us by his spirit? Now, of course, God's uh, revealed himself in creation. We can look at creation and and learn what God has done. He's revealed himself uh, most clearly in his word so we could read the scriptures and learn a lot of things about God. But God didn't choose to stop there. He went so far to give his people his spirit in order that we might not simply know things about God, that we might actually know God himself. Jesus talks a lot about this in the Gospel of John when he's telling his followers that the spirit is going to come and this is what he's going to do. I already read some of this verse earlier, but Jesus says, I'll ask the father. He'll send you another helper, the spirit to be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This spirit that is in us as Christians, Jesus calls the spirit of truth. He says, those who follow Jesus have the spirit. Those who don't follow Jesus don't have the spirit. And in John 15, 26, Jesus says, the spirit's going to come and bear witness about me. So Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes and he's come for us, one of the primary things that he will do is reveal God to us. I think this is a particularly important point for us to understand in our day where everyone goes everywhere looking for truth. Everyone has their own truth. And this is especially true when it comes to God. So we look to uh, social media influencers for truth about God. We uh, look to self-help books or, or coworkers at the water cooler or uh, nature and the alignment of the stars and all these things. And some of those things have true things to tell us about God. But because the spirit of truth that God has sent reveals God to us, it means on the one hand, there is objective truth about God that is, that is out there to be known. On the other hand, it means if you want to know him, You can go directly to Him. God's Spirit points us to God as He reveals Himself to us. The second responsibility of the Spirit in our fellowship with Him is that He helps us fight against sin. At the beginning of Romans 8, Paul starts out with the famous verse, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Then he goes on to describe how living according to the law couldn't save us, but how salvation is in Jesus alone. And then we'll pick it up in verse 12, where Paul says, so then brothers, because you've been saved by Jesus, we are debtors, but not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So what Paul is saying here is that uh, those who have had their sins forgiven because of Jesus' atonement have been adopted into God's family, are sons and daughters of God, and now they make a break with past sinful behaviors and by the Spirit's help live lives of godliness. But notice how Paul says this happens by the Spirit. He doesn't say this happens by trying really hard to stop those past behaviors and obey God. No, he says it happens by the Spirit. Paul talks about something similar to this in Galatians 3 when he's rebuking the Galatians. He says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? And the answer is faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So, Paul's talking about our salvation, and he says that uh, we receive salvation not by works, but by the free gift of grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We don't save ourselves by cleaning ourselves up and stopping our bad behavior, we're only saved by faith in Jesus. But the Galatians knew this, and and I hope that we know this as well, but there was still a problem because the Galatian Christians knew they weren't saved by their faith, but they were still trying to become the best Christians they could possibly be by their own effort. Their works didn't save them, but they thought that their works would perfect them or make them acceptable in God's sight. They were trying their hardest to stop living one way and to start living another way, and it wasn't working. So Paul's trying to show them that if they couldn't save themselves by their works, they're not gonna be able to change their lives by their works either. Instead, if we go back to Romans eight, Paul says it's by the spirit that we put sin to death in our lives. But how does that actually happen? I don't have all of the answers, but John Owen gives us a helpful picture and he says, do not seek to empty your cup as a way to avoid sin but rather seek to fill it up with the spirit of life so there is no longer room for sin. We've all tried to empty our cup of sin. We've, we've tried to empty our lives of sin, and how well does that generally work? It doesn't. Instead, Owen says we ought to fill our hearts and our minds with God through the spirit, and as our hearts and our minds are increasingly set on God, our lives are decreasingly filled with sin. Without God's Spirit in us, revealing God to us, reminding us of the truths of the gospel, we can't put sin to death and make a break with those past behaviors. But by His Spirit, we can fight against sin and gain victory over it. Another responsibility of the Holy Spirit in our relationship with Him is to intercede for us. In Romans 8, Paul's talking a lot about the Spirit, and then he starts talking about suffering and the future hope that we have in Christ. And then right in the middle of this suffering, he says these amazing and somewhat confusing words in verse 26, "'For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, "'but the Spirit himself intercedes for us "'with groanings too deep for words. "'And he who searches hearts "'knows what is in the mind of the Spirit,' because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is a bit mysterious. We, we might ask Paul, like, can you explain more of this? Well, how does this really work? The Spirit is praying for us on our behalf. Uh, but what is clear here is that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that when you don't know what to pray because the situation is so complex, or you don't know how to pray because you're in such suffering, The Spirit of God is able. The Spirit of God knows how to pray. What's more, the Spirit knows the will of the Father, so he's able to bring our needs and God's will together in prayer. Robert Mounts says about this passage that no passage of Scripture provides greater encouragement for prayer. The Spirit comes to the aid of believers baffled by the perplexity of prayer and takes their concerns to God with an intensity far greater than we could ever imagine. Our groans become His as He intercedes on our behalf. As Christians, we've all had seasons where prayer was extremely difficult or maybe even impossible. Maybe that's you right now. But our fellowship with the Spirit is good news because it means that in those seasons, God isn't disappointed with us. God isn't sitting up there in heaven just waiting for us to start praying to Him. Instead, God's stepping in by His Spirit and doing the work of prayer himself. Spirit knows what we need, and he intercedes for us on our behalf. A fourth responsibility of the Spirit in our fellowship with him is to give us hope in the midst of suffering. We see this in Romans 5, 2 through 5, where Paul says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So as Christians, not only do we get to rejoice in the fact that God's given us access to him through Jesus, but we also get to rejoice in the fact that we're able to rejoice in things that seem impossible to rejoice in, namely our suffering. And Paul sets up this sequence that's a fairly well-known sequence. He says suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character leads to hope. And this sounds great. We can all get on board with our suffering leading to hope. But notice how Paul ends the section. He says, hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And I think that sentence is really significant to understand this passage. The reason I say that is because suffering leading to hope isn't unique to the Christian faith. Uh, we see these stories all the time on the news or in movies or, or, or in sports. Uh, athletes get hurt and the first thing they say is, I'll come back stronger than ever. Uh, we've got the saying, when one door closes, another door opens. Suffering resulting in hope for something better is a common theme all over our world. But what happens a lot of the times after the hope that comes from suffering? a lot of times it quickly just gets turned back into more suffering. Most athletes don't come back better than ever. Maybe that lost opportunity does lead to something better, but maybe it doesn't. The reason that we love movies and stories like this is because they're the exception, not the rule. When that happens, our hope disappoints us. Our hope lets us down. To use Paul's word, our hope puts us to shame. We thought our suffering was gonna lead to something better, but it didn't. But Paul says, if you have the Holy Spirit, the hope that you have in the midst of suffering will never let you down. But we all face suffering in this life. But the difference for Christians is that Paul says our suffering isn't meaningless because God is working in our suffering. And it isn't ultimate because one day we'll see God face to face and there'll be no more suffering. God uses suffering to deepen our faith. One day, suffering will be no more. And without that coming day, the hope of that day, suffering really is hopeless a lot of the time. But with the Holy Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit, you can have unwavering, unshaking hope even in the midst of suffering. The last responsibility of the Holy Spirit that I wanna mention this morning is that he leads us into peace and joy. In Romans 14, Paul's talking about Christians disagreeing on whether or not they should eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And Paul says, don't divide over this issue. It's not central to the Christian faith. So don't let it separate you guys. And then in verse 17, he says, what is central to the Christian faith? Paul says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit paul says the kingdom of god the christian faith your relationship with jesus christianity as a whole is not primarily about what you do and don't do it's about god giving his righteousness to us in the person of jesus christ and about us experiencing peace and joy that flows from a relationship with him by the spirit how many people today both christians and non-christians need to hear that about christianity The heart of the Christian faith is not about following rules. It's about God giving us his righteousness that we couldn't earn and didn't deserve through Jesus and about God giving us a lasting peace and joy that we can't find anywhere else in this world through his Holy Spirit. Part of having a relationship with Jesus and experiencing fellowship with the Spirit is experiencing deep and lasting peace and joy. So Before we move on to our responsibility in uh, this fellowship relationship, I do just want to pause because uh, as we've been talking about these things, the Bible teaches that if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us we've just gone through several things that the Spirit wants to do in our lives. And so it begs the question, are you experiencing fellowship of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you have this peace and joy that comes from the Spirit? Are you able to have hope in the midst of suffering? Are you fighting against sin and temptation and gaining victory over it or just giving in? Are you learning more and more about God as His Spirit reveals Him to you? And I hope the answer to most or all of those questions is yes, but if it's not, now is a good time to do some reflection. Because if you aren't experiencing the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, then it might just mean you're not opening yourself up to daily fellowship with Him, and we're going to come back to that in a second, or it might mean that you don't actually have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have forgiveness of sins, you don't have adoption into God's family, you don't have eternal hope in a future with God. And Jeff's going to be talking a lot more about this next week as he unpacks the work of the Spirit in our lives at salvation. So I hope that you'll come back next week. We've seen the Holy Spirit's job in our fellowship with him, but now what about us? What is our responsibility when it comes to our fellowship with the Spirit? Three things, and then we'll uh, wrap up talking about the practical ways that we go about doing this. So, first thing we see is that our responsibility is not to grieve the holy spirit ephesians 4 30 says and do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption so in the context of ephesians 4 uh, paul's talking about what new life in christ looks like he's talking about making a break from sinful behavior and living a life of godliness and then at the end of that section he says don't grieve the Spirit. Paul seems to be saying that what does grieve the Spirit is our sin, that our sin damages our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't give us all the details about what this means or the the extent that this happens, but he says that he wants Christians to know that we have the ability to grieve the Spirit and impair our fellowship with Him. So our first responsibility in our fellowship is to seek to live a life of righteousness that does not grieve the Spirit. And we already talked about that a moment ago, that the the way that we actually do that isn't even by our own strength, it's by the Spirit, but we do have the responsibility to seek to live that out. The second thing Paul says is another negative, do not quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul's stringing together a bunch of uh, final remarks to the Thessalonians. And he's, one of those is, do not quench the Spirit. Well, so far, Paul's given us two things not to do. It, it's almost as if Paul's saying, the Spirit wants to do all of these things. You just need to get out of the way and let Him do it. And I don't know exactly what Paul means by this, don't quench the Spirit. Like I said, it, it's just kind of strung on at the end of 1 Thessalonians and um, I think based on Ephesians 4, uh, we can quench the Spirit by our sin. But I think the important thing to just see here is that we have the ability to quench the Spirit. By the things we do, by by the way we live our lives, we can quench the Spirit's fellowship and relationship uh, on on our daily lives. Paul does give us one positive thing that we should do. That The last thing, our last responsibility is to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians five eighteen says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So we can grieve the Spirit, we can quench the Spirit, but the flip side of that is we can also be filled with the Spirit in such a way that being filled with the Spirit influences our behavior, just like alcohol influences behavior if you've had too much to drink. And look at the result of being filled with the Spirit. Paul continues saying, if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in contrast to quenching the Spirit and grieving the Spirit, you have this picture of a Christian filled with the Spirit who is joyful, who is thankful, who is worshiping God and is living in love and harmony with others. There's a stark contrast here. And what's interesting about this command Paul gives us to be filled with the Spirit is that it is a command. It's something Paul's commanding us to do, but it's also passive. He's saying, be filled. So it's something that we can't do on our own. It's something outside of us that has to be done to us. So Paul says, on the one hand, fill yourselves with the Spirit. But on the other hand, he says, someone else is going to be doing the work of filling you. And how does that work? Well, Paul doesn't explain it here, but 2,000 years of Christians have been trying to walk with the Spirit, trying to enjoy fellowship with the Spirit, trying to fill themselves up with the Spirit. And what they found is that a, a life of fellowship with the spirit means practicing what we call the spiritual disciplines so These are things like bible reading prayer solitude meditation fasting confession corporate worship this is one list uh back here this is not a perfect or exhaustive list but this is just one person's list of spiritual disciplines And what I saw when I was studying this week is that the Holy Spirit is the key. He's the link to being the spiritual disciplines being just something that we do and actually experiencing daily fellowship with God. I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but it's so easy for me to practice the spiritual disciplines, to read my Bible and pray and feel like nothing is happening but I still do those things. And honestly, a lot of times it's from a legalistic, trying to earn God's favor or to conjure up something to happen. And so uh, those things that Christians have been doing, saying this is how you walk with God for 2000 years, just sometimes seem meaningless. Maybe you've never practiced these spiritual disciplines before, but when the spiritual disciplines are practiced in acknowledgement of the spirit, in relationship with the spirit, with the spirit, asking for the spirit, they become the way that we experience a real relationship with Jesus day by day and moment by moment. And here's why. What was the first responsibility we said that the spirit has in our fellowship with him? It was to reveal God to us. What was the primary way that God has revealed himself to us? It's through his word. So the primary way that the Spirit of God goes about doing the work of revealing God to us and helping us understand who He is is by allowing us to understand the Bible, opening up our hearts and minds to receive what it says is the Word of God. Reading the Bible without the Spirit is just reading empty words written thousands of years ago, but with the Spirit, it's God's life-transforming revelation to us. Another responsibility of the Spirit was to intercede for us, to pray for us when we don't know how or what to pray. And so when we practice the spiritual discipline of prayer, it's not always easy. Sometimes it might feel like we're just talking to ourselves, but with the Spirit interceding on behalf, we're not just talking to ourselves, we're talking to the Lord of all. We also said the Spirit helps us battle sin and temptation and gives us victory over those things. And the primary way He does that is through confession of sin, both to God and to others. It's through filling our hearts and our minds with the beauty of Christ, through reading the Bible and through meditating on Scripture and through worshiping together with other Christians. The Spirit is the one that uses the spiritual disciplines in our lives to help us walk with Him. I think for many of us, we want to experience fellowship with the Holy Spirit, but we don't feel like we are. And some of us are practicing the spiritual disciplines and don't feel like anything's happening. Maybe others of us aren't practicing the spiritual disciplines at all, and I don't have all the answers for how we can make this work, because it's not up to us to make it work. It's up to us to be faithful, to open ourselves up to the Spirit and allow Him to come in and do His work day by day. Uh, let me illustrate this real quickly. Uh, I think the way that water works in our homes and the faucets is, is interesting. It seems so simple, like we would have a, a more complex method in, uh, in, in modern day. The water comes from the city, it comes from the well, and it just is sitting there right behind the faucet in the pipe ready for you to turn it on. It, it seems like it would like build up and burst the pipe so when everything's working properly, it doesn't. The water's just sitting there And you turn the handle, water comes out. You turn the handle off, water stops. It's it's really simple. And the spiritual disciplines are like turning the handle on that faucet. We aren't bringing bringing the spirit down from heaven. We aren't the one changing our thoughts and behavior, just like we couldn't wash our hands without the water. But we do have a role to play. We have to open the tap. We have to put ourselves in a position to be filled with the spirit. We can quench the spirit we can grieve the spirit but paul also invites us to be filled with the spirit Uh, jesus also another aspect of this is that in matthew 7 jesus says that uh, god being a good father will give the spirit to those who ask so as we practice the spiritual disciplines let's ask god to fill us with his spirit Now, we don't have time this morning to talk about uh, how you practice all of the spiritual disciplines, but I do want to say two things. One is that there is a variety of spiritual disciplines here. Uh, You saw that list earlier. Uh, Bible reading and prayer are the two primary disciplines, but that is not all that there is. There are many ways to experience fellowship with God, and open up your heart and your mind to him and so uh, maybe i just could encourage you to pick one of those things that you're not practicing and and work on practicing that for the rest of this year second if we don't have time this morning to talk about how to do these things but if you want help practicing the spiritual disciplines ask someone Uh, if you're in a small group your small group leader would be a great person to ask If you're not in a small group you can reach out to me or any one of our staff members and we would love to help you do these things here's the last thing that i want to say before we close this morning did you notice how daily fellowship with the holy spirit isn't anything spectacular yes on the one hand it's spectacular that god even has fellowship with us by his spirit but what i mean is that our daily fellowship with him what it actually looks like isn't anything crazy. It's easy for us to think that what fellowship with the Holy Spirit means is all of those stories from the book of Acts. So fellowship with the Spirit is speaking in tongues. It's healing people. It's having divine protection and breaking out of jail. And the Holy Spirit can do miracles today. Jeff's going to talk about that uh, in a couple of weeks. But once you get past the book of Acts in the New Testament, the church is established, Paul is telling Christians what they need to know about having fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and it's really pretty ordinary. Paul says the Spirit's gonna help you know about God. The Spirit's gonna help you obey God's commands. The Spirit's gonna help you pray. The Spirit's gonna help you have hope even in the midst of difficult times. And the Spirit's going to lead you to experience peace and joy in God. In other words, fellowship with the Spirit isn't for the spiritual elite fellowship with the Spirit. uh, You don't have to become a monk to experience fellowship with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's primary job in our fellowship with Him is simply to enable us to live a life faithful to God. And our responsibility is to open ourselves up to Him and let Him do the work. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that you have called us into relationship uh, with you by Jesus. And we want more of you. We want to walk with you day by day. And we just ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Father, fill us with your spirit that we might be faithful to you day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour. We can't do it. We know that you can, that you've promised to put your spirit in us. So we ask that you would do the work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.